this podcast is an open, honest conversation from two human beings on opposite sides of the world. This podcast features the stunning Candy Carpenter. This was honest, revealing, truthful, and I just can't wait for her album. And I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much, as much as I did. This is Candy Carpenter on Voice of Women, and this is Real Talk. So this, I this is kind of my introduction into podcasting myself because I do radio shows and stuff, but I decided to start a podcast called Voice of a Woman Real Talk, where we just get real for about an hour. Great. About basically what it means to be a woman and for yourself, what that means in terms of the music business um, and in terms of the challenges you face and in terms of you as a woman telling your story in your music. Um, because you as a songwriter are extremely vulnerable in your songwriting. Um, so much so that every single lyric and every single song that you sung in the British Country Music Festival was like, just, you know, when, you know, when as, you, as a songwriter, when you write a song and it, you just feel it in the heart, it just like goes right there, just, and it just digs and keeps digging, but it's not in a, in a it's in a kind of comforting, not alone kind of feeling. Um, Absolutely. I got that so much from all your songs and that's, that to me embodies what voice a woman is and sharing a voice and how sometimes voices can be silenced and sometimes people are afraid to speak and there's just there's so much kind of underlying voice for women but that's the kind of um that's what this podcast is basically about just I suppose a woman's truth and what that is um so my first question would be what does it mean to you to be a woman or what does that kind of term mean when you're going through life as a woman or a female or whatever else we're called? Well, you know, I haven't talked about this much actually, um, but I have recently been spending a lot of time, you know, like we all have alone, alone with myself. Yeah. And I am still learning how to talk about this, um, but I, I, I identify as non-binary actually. Um, yeah. So my pronouns are she, they, and, and I'm actually really, I haven't ever said that, um, in an interview or, uh, or (laughs) at all. I say, I'm sorry. I'm a little emotional about that actually right now. I, I, uh, wow. It's really hard to find the words to, uh, well, that's that no that's that's amazing we're all we're all who we are and that's that's an amazing thing to be able to say that and to be able to express that and that's that's an amazing thing and thank you for sharing that because that's that's incredible um and just like that's who you are and that's what you identify as and that's that's an important part of your story it's, it's been a long a long journey getting there um, I grew up a pastor's daughter and there's a lot of extra expectation put on the a child of a, of a clergy. Um, because I, you know, in a sense, in a sense, you're a pastor as well. It's, it's your job to, um, 
to really show up for people and and um, help people. And you don't necessarily learn how to, to care for yourself uh, in, in that environment. Um, I have really struggled with my identity my whole life because as a kid, my, my identity was in my faith. Um, you know, it wasn't about who I was as a human being. It was about who I was in, in Christ, um, the Protestant church. I gathered from my last visit to the UK um, that like, the evangelical church in the US is, is different yeah, than, uh-huh. than the church in the UK. And I, there, I had some songs I was, I was so nervous to perform um, because they touched on my religious upbringing and what I experienced in the church as a kid and as an adult. And uh, I, I, I am still nervous to sing them in the US. <laughs> I think some of the reactions might be different to, to a couple of those songs, but um, it was funny, especially singing Everybody Goes to Hell in Blackpool. I sang the song and I was expecting like a yes. lot of, <laughs> a lot of upset faces and everyone's just like, woo! Everyone's like, woo <laughs> I think that was probably one of the most, I think probably one of the most biggest times because I remember like the laughter and just the, like, you had, you had the audience in the palm of your hand that night, eh, that afternoon, oh. it felt like a night, but you had the, the audience in the palm of your hand and like, they were listening to your every spoken word and then they were listening to every lyric and then when that song came, it was just laughter and woohoo and it was just like, they all had their own personal struggle with whoever they were going through or whatever experiences they had with that and um you could feel it in the audience it was like you took us on an emotional roller coaster ride um and then when you talked about your boyfriend being a serial killer <laughs> it was like okay <laughs> really serious and then you- <laughs> It's funny because because my fiance and we got engaged. We got engaged in the UK um, when we were in Scotland, and he he uh, planned this absolutely beautiful yeah, proposal. I was totally surprised by it. I, I uh, had asked him not to propose in the UK on our trip because I love him, but he loses things constantly. I, the amount, if I had back the amount of time that we've like looked spending, like spent looking for his keys in his wallet and really, I mean, within a day of being in London, he lost his pass to, to get on the trains oh, and the tubes. So I was thinking, oh my God, if, if we bring this ring over there and you're trying to hide it from me, it's going to end up in a toilet or like, and you know, falling down in a crack between you know minding the gap and just falling in there so yeah he he didn't lose it and the proposal was gorgeous it was it was at the Glasgow Necropolis and it was on the same day Britney Spears got engaged and evidently I didn't say yes when he asked me I said Britney Spears just got engaged (laughs) that's how I responded to him so the fact that he decided to go forward with the engagement and still loves me is a miracle. <laughs> it's a wonder. I'm a lot to deal with, I think, probably. Well, that's a, is that, was that your yes? Did he just translate that as yes? That, is that? Well, there, there's a video and I, 
I watched the video and I did nod. Well, so, <laughs> I went, Britney Spears just got engaged and that's what I did while nodding profusely. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's really wonderful. And it's, that's the joke on serial killer. He's the most gentle, kind, compassionate, um, generous human being. I can't say enough about him. And when we first started dating, it was hard for me to open up to him and trust him because of kind of my past poor judgment. But he, he is uh, remarkable. Um, and it's been strange to write a lot of these songs with him. I think he's a co-writer in pretty much every song on the album we've been working on. And, and a lot of the songs are really detailed about my past and things that uh, he probably wishes he'd never heard about. Um, and we've had to get very real and discuss all of this. He, he knows everything about me and pretty soon everybody else will too. Um, so before we talk about the music, which is, um, who would you say um, has been your role models growing up, not just in music, but just in general to learn from, or who would you say that you've, you look up to um, in the form of role models or, or female role models or male role models? It's such a good question. Um, wow, there, there, there are so many artists who um, inspire me uh, past and present. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of Southern gospel music with my parents. I don't know if you're really familiar with that genre. It's, it's, yeah. it's its own world. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up pretty much vocally, listening. To vocally, it's amazing gospel, like Southern gospel. It's like the, yeah, the joy and the singing and that is, yeah, it's incredible music. Well, in my, my family was a big influence on me. Um, we had our own band and we were oh. not going to say we were good. Uh, I actually, I actually found a VHS tape of, of my family band. Um, it was a few years before I joined when I was, I think I was eight or nine when I joined the band. And uh, it was surreal to see my mom and dad, my grandpa and my uncle so young and they were playing on a cable access television show. So the, the quality and the, the intro music was all pretty funny. I'll have to send it to you. I think you'd be kick out of it. But we, we were called the Carpenters with an apostrophe S. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Unlike the Carpenters who had the most famous duo. <laughs> I know, I know. And I and the, originally they were called Heaven Sent. And I guess when I joined and there was more than, you know, like there were more Carpenters than there were Burt's in the band. So they decided to change the name. It's still to this day, I don't get it. Uh, I remember my dad um, uploaded a bunch of the Carpenters music to uh, DSPs for people to, to find and purchase. And everybody that bought the carpenters with the apostrophe s was pissed <laughs> my dad calls me and he says you know we've sold thousands of downloads of the cassette i cannot believe so many people are are, are buying our music this is amazing i had no idea it was this easy and then you know, sure enough you go look at the reviews and everyone is just going like what is this 
please yeah please don't buy this buyer beware um <laughs> but I, I I feel really lucky that I had the chance to get into music so young with them um I when I was 15 I started touring with uh with a country legend a Grand Ole Opry star by the name of Jack Green he was the first CMA male vocalist of the year and um I learned the base, the basis of, of who I am still to this day as a, as an artist and an entertainer from, from those years with Jack, because uh, I got to Randall Opry on the road package shows as a teenager and hang out with Loretta Lynn oh. and little Jimmy Dickens. And, you know, Gene Shepard taught me how to, how to read, um, and understand the Nashville number system. And I, I got to write with Phil Everly of the Everly brothers uh, who was became like an uncle to me. Um, so I really was fortunate to be immersed in the traditional country music scene and and get to know the people who who inspired me as a little girl in Lansing, Michigan. So um, yeah, I like right now, I'm have you have you checked out this artist named Oliver Tree? No, I can't say I have. Not yet. Oh, I've been getting such a kick out of him. He's he's hilarious. He wears these costumes, um, and really half of his shtick is comedy. Um, and I, I think I think you know I'm I'm actually just as inspired by stand-up comedians as I am by uh, musicians, um, and those who do both, like Steve Martin. I would give anything to collaborate with him. I think that'd be amazing. That would be interesting. <laughs> that would be an interesting duet. <laughs> um, speaking of comedy, I can't remember her name now, and it's probably not even any point bringing it up, but um, it was a Netflix series. Um, I think she was a gay comedian, and she was talking about that and how like her experiences of coming out and what people... I can't, I think she was an Australian. Oh, I wish I could remember her name, it'll probably come back to me. Um, but that was so inspiring. I think she caused such a sensation. Like she was, it really was amazing. I'll need to remember, I'll need to remember and message you the name. Um, but that really stayed with me, just her, her personal journey and her telling her truth and just people accepting it. It's just incredible. And what an education you've had musically. Like that's, what an environment to be around and Loretta Lynn and our, you know, that's like, she is the queen of, one of the queens, there's a lot of queens of country, but she is definitely, um, and that's an, like, I suppose country music at the minute, as well as a question to kind of what comes from that is country music means so many different things now to so many different people, whoever's listening to it. And you have seen country music then and now. So what do you define as country music and what, where do you see yourself within that brand of country music? That's another great question. Um, you know, for me, country music has always been about the storytelling. And I hear that answer given a lot to questions like these, but I, I do think that that is the foundation of the genre. It's, it's all about honesty, uh, even when it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, the outlaws, uh, Johnny and, Willie and Waylon, they, they were, Merle Haggard, they were so honest. They were honest about the, the darkness in life too, about the, the parts of 
the human experience that aren't pretty, um, that people get uncomfortable about when, when we talk about them. And uh, like Folsom Prison, I mean, actually going into a prison, learning about the inmates and telling their stories. I, I think for me, that, that's the kind of the artist I wanna be. I, I want to tell my stories because I, I'm not an expert on anything. I'm barely an expert on myself. Um, I, there's still so much I, I, don't, I don't know about me. Um, I'm endeavoring with the album I'm writing now to unpack a lot of that, to, to, to figure myself out. And again, like take off all of these, these labels, these, these uh, identities that have been, you know, forced onto me that, that I haven't necessarily chosen for myself. Um, and I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, of freedom in country music to do that. Uh, and there are, there are all different kinds of country music. I, I'm not even um, totally sure anymore what makes something definitively country. Mm -hmm. I think it's really about the attitude. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I think the parameters of it has shifted over the over the years and over like even within the UK and even in America, like with pro country and just all the different like folk country and pop country and rock country and um, it's kind of made the parameters of it and the borders of it they've moved and they keep moving and they don't stay the same it's like never nothing ever does does it it's an ever-changing genre of music and like what's country to one person is not country to another person and and, then that, and how country is that <laughs> that's country that is that's true <laughs> that's so true <laughs> that's true that is so that's so country <clears throat> um but someone's true but yeah that's uh, i think that's um like there's there's so much within it and I think like I know a lot of times because I, I do love the real heart of country and um, like there's so many female artists right now like yourself and Brandi Carlyle because I know you've worked with her a lot. have yeah an amazing experience for sure. I mean that like just even like the Joker is one song from Brandi Carlyle that I just like every time I listen to it I'm just like that's a that. masterpiece. Uh, like and and getting to hear her live to sing that live i um i got to hear her sing that live for judy collins it was just a, a really intimate performance it was just brandy singing to julie i was there to or to judy i was there too but i mean it it was it was really about that moment between the two of them and, and getting to watch that was magical and when people ask me what the greatest performance i've ever seen is it's, it's, it's that moment. Brandy singing one-on-one -on -one to one of her musical heroes. What a moment. That must be like a, a kind of full circle moment for Brandy herself, because like, what, what was it like working with her? Because you're both so talented in your own oh, ways. And to come together, like that must have, you must have learned from each other in that setting. Um, and the EP that you produced was just, yeah, it's kind of like the, the words hitting the gut. So that must have been such a great experience. What did you learn from that? And what did you take away from that experience? Because that must have been amazing. I and learned a lot. Yeah. For one thing, I, I put too much emphasis, you know, earlier we were talking about um, 
kind of the expectations that are they're put on artists, you know, who identify as as female in in music and in Nashville. And you know, this is a few years ago for me, and I, and I and I was still putting so much emphasis on my appearance to my own detriment. For one thing, it, I'm spending you know two hours a day of my very limited life getting ready to. I mean, who am I, who am I trying to impress? Who am I trying to be enough for? Um, I was, you know, clipping in my hair extensions, putting on so much makeup and I wasn't comfortable in all of it. And, uh, and I certainly wasn't being myself. And I think, I think people can tell when you're not really being yourself. And I, you know, I, my favorite artists are the artists who, who can't help but be who they are. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm spending two hours every day hiding uh, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was, if it was shame growing up with the feeling that I wasn't enough or I, I really still don't know. I don't know what I was hiding from. I definitely wasn't happy. And this one particular day, it was the first day I was going to work with Brandy. I I'd hired a makeup artist to get me all ready and I'd been the night before I got this haircut and it was crooked. It was literally like diagonal in the back of my head. It was a mess and I had to fix it myself. Um, and I tell this story a lot, but I, I, I literally cut my own hair with a pair of meat shears over the kitchen sink because I couldn't cut my, I, I didn't have scissors strong enough to <laughs> cut my hair. So I, <laughs> and I don't think I made it look better really I think it it might have gotten worse but I also had this situation where the makeup that I had professionally applied melted off in the car and it looked like I was like dripping flesh colored ooze off of my it was gross and and I had to fix my makeup with this chapstick I found in my purse I hadn't brought any extra with me it was supposed to last all day and I so I was a mess when I met Brandy and I had I felt so self-conscious about it and then Brandy just rolls in casual cool giving zero f's I don't know if if we're swearing <laughs> and, do, yeah. Yeah, okay. so, <laughs> and, and she looked she looked fucking incredible and I had spent so much time and energy on my appearance and I looked like a disaster. And I'm like, what am I doing? She just wanted to meet me. She didn't want to meet, you know, the Madame Tussauds wax figure version of me. And it, but that, really the biggest takeaway I, from, from my time with Brandy was to, to stop trying so hard and just exist. Because no matter what I do, no matter how much time I spend in the mirror every morning, somebody's going to make fun of me on the internet anyway. There's no preventing that. And it, it, was, it was freeing to, to watch her, the way that she handles her career, her business, her personal life. And, um, and it really gave me permission to, to take that control in my own career. That's incredible to take that away from that because <clears throat> I see, I've always seen the music industry as two, well, there's two sides I see of it. 
and um, obviously the first side is when you're writing songs they're personal they're wearing your heart on your sleeve a lot of them were authentically you and then it's like oh do I want to share that one because that's me um, and then the listener when the listener hears them your relationship with a song is your unique relationship with that song and that artist no one else has that relationship with that song and that artist mm, um, interesting yeah, yeah. Well, that's the way that's the way I've always seen it because like everyone has different perspectives in their life and whatever story and whatever struggles they're carrying. And if they're listening to a song, they'll take a different view of it or a different meaning from it, um, which I always find really interesting. Um, but then it's a product when it gets to radio or when you have to sell it, and that's a completely different mindset. Like. There's two, I just see that as two, I don't know if you, because you're obviously in the midst of it. Um, is that the way you see it or is there more to it than what I've just explained? <clears throat> Excuse me. Absolutely. I guess that's the same with everybody's experience in life too. I mean, I, I think it's easy to get so caught up in our own experience and what we're seeing, you know, in our brain, behind our eyes, what we're what we're, what we're feeling in a given situation, but everyone is navigating this existence in their own little spaceship and we can't know what's going on in their world, in their inner world. Um, it's been striking. My relationship with, with my fiance is, is so healthy for me and such a great opportunity for growth because we're very different people. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever gotten into the Enneagram. Yep. You ever done that? Okay. Yep. So I'm an Enneagram four wing three, which is probably no surprise to you. <laughs> I, I, I feel everything intensely, deeply all the time. Like I could cry watching a cereal commercial of like a mom taking care of a baby. Um, and then like start thinking about my own childhood and like how, often I didn't eat breakfast as a kid. And then I'll like be fucking sobbing on the couch and like, he'll be, he'll look at me and be like, what is wrong with you? What is your problem? <laughs> that was a Cheerios commercial. I do that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like, he doesn't do that. He's just like, Oh, that made me hungry for cereal. I'm going to go fix a bowl of cereal. Yeah. So we, <laughs> We all respond differently to music too. I mean, everybody, yeah. <laughs> everybody's in their own world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. That's, um, yeah. Yeah, because like, I always say this and I think my sister's probably annoyed every time I see it, but I always have to bring it up because it's so true. Like, she always complains to me that I listen, I listen to depressing music. Oh, sure. I don't, I don't see it as depressing music. Um, I think I kind of see it as, um, as this is a weird and mega sort of fucked up world in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. And how the heck do we try and make sense of everything that's going on around us, even pre-pandemic? But then the pandemic comes in and it just makes it so much, 10 times worse. So you're like, how on earth do I navigate this and how... So when you hear somebody that feels what you're feeling and you've not really told it to anyone else, you've not really spoke about it to anyone else, and there's somebody singing it to you out of speakers, you're just like, oh, yes, 
even if it's a sad, I don't believe in sad songs. I don't think there's sad songs. I, I like it's it's real emotion and it's real life, and that's what I love about music. That's for me. I mean, I also love like like when I'm trying to do my housework and my chores. I need something. I need some rock. And I need something that's not going to make me stand and cry because I need to get my chores done because it's hard enough doing them as it is. Um, but to me, music is just real when it when it's that um, when it's that true, like that um, line. I think I told you about it last time. Um, it's not crap. No, wait a minute. Now I can't remember the line, and I've not got it written down. Are you on Enneagram Four? <laughs> See, I've done Enneagram before, and I kind of struggle to know because like I've been a carer for my whole life because my mother died when I was younger. Okay. Kind of unknowingly took on the mother role as such. Oh, interesting. Um, and wasn't wasn't really a child as such because mm-hmm. I had a three-year-old sister. I was 12, so I had a three-year-old sister and I had a brother that was just two and a half years older than me. So I was kind of in the middle, so I was kind of the trying to uh, trying to keep things together, or trying to give people what they were needing, and um, so from that kind of sense, I've not. I don't know if I've ever got my own identity because I've been looking after mm. others, and that's just kind of went on my whole my whole life, kind of thing. Um, I'm going to send you some information, um, but yeah, the thing about the Enneagram is just, you know, you have a number, but you also have, um, you know, usually a wing and then numbers that you kind of revert to when you're at your healthiest and when you're at your unhealthiest. Um, And I, as you know, as a four, um, fours also, by the way, notoriously struggle with identity. And, uh, and that has been a big issue for me in my life as well, the side note. Um, but I notice that when I am, you know, in a stressful situation in a crisis situation, um, or, you know, not feeling my healthiest, I, I will take on the characteristics of a two, which is, is the helper. Um, so I, I would put my money based on the way that you also react to serial commercials, um, <laughs> on you being a four. <laughs> or having a four in there somewhere no but I think I think um I do I'm, I'm I feel those intense things like the the mother giving the child something like that, that yeah but yeah. It's, it's the caregiving it's that that mm. thing that I haven't had for years and years and years and years and years um and every like it's that thing when I see a mother and a child walking through the park or just walking through the park or on a swing or holding hands in the supermarket or even just having a debate because the child wants a chocolate bar and mummy's like no 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 you've got five chocolate bars <laughs> and you're and I'm just like oh, that's so and I do I, I feel it I feel it like because it's just like I suppose it's because I've, I've been through that and it's like it's just such a precious thing to see that. Um, it's, it's one of the most precious suppose, relationships. Um, Absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm so sorry you experienced so much loss that early on. Yeah, that's probably why I'd cry at the 
commercials. <laughs> Although I don't watch TV that much, but um, yeah, it's um, it's a very yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's a. I think it's it's difficult, like how you can miss something you've not had. People usually say that, but I, you can definitely miss something you've not really had as such. Well, when when you when you know it's supposed to be there, too. Yeah. Even you, even you, you know it's missing. Yeah. Um, I, I was on my own at fifteen, and I and I, I feel this. I I, just, I do feel a lot of loss around my my teen years um my adolescence i i was on and alone on and off before then as well and and uh yeah i didn't get the the school the like high school experience um or or have the chance to like, really make normal healthy friendships i think i think my therapist called it um individuation it's, it's this like period of time you have when you you're actually supposed to rebel um and and kind of piss off your parents like that's like a healthy thing to do and I wasn't with them um and I, I wasn't able to rebel and so I think my identity got lost in the shuffle there see I relate to that totally because like I know it's like the the kind of common threads of being a child and being a teenager is doing all that or going out getting pissed and forgetting to go home or just going out all night and not your parents not knowing where you are and all that kind of stuff um I wasn't doing all that I was I was at home caring and it like I didn't rebel although you know it was like if if you didn't do what you were told that was you being disobedient kind of thing and it was like I I don't think I rebelled um in that sense so what yeah, I can I can see totally relate, um, totally relate to that, um, totally relate to that. Just I suppose rebelling by being yourself. I have I have actually called I've got a playlist that I now call Rebel Heart. I love that. Um, which is songs that like just songs about all that. Um, I think I've got Dirt Around the Tree in it now as well. Um. Just because, just of the topics of the songs, and just um, even the song um, "This Is Me" from The Greatest Showman. Mm, yeah, cool. I am. Um, when I'm in the shower singing that, <laughs> like it's. But I think there's so much in that song. Like for a three-minute, four-minute song, there's so much in that song to give you that kind of empowerment as to everyone is okay where they are, when they are, and who they are. And you know that's the most important thing. And to have a good friendship with yourself is probably one of the most important things because as they all say, it's that old adage, like, if you don't love yourself, how can you expect someone else to love you? Which is the hardest thing to hear, but you think, well, if I don't love myself just now, then I need somebody to love me. So go on, like, it's, it's the two ways, right? But yeah, it's... um. That's real life. That's like um, there's lots of songs in this now. There's a whole album. I know that's what we're talking about right now. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm so proud of you because we 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 got the chance to talk when we met at the British Country Music Festival in Blackpool 
a little bit and you know you shared with me there and I thought this is this is a cool human being because I I mean I it's it's hard to go through you know what you've been through in the first place it's it's hard to experience that but it's even more painful to do the work of healing the wounds and healing yourself um I, I think healing hurts more than getting wounded and um and you're doing that for yourself and you're taking that time to love and care for you now and that's beautiful and something to celebrate and really like the greatest accomplishment anyone can achieve in their life is healing that's when you start to really enjoy the life you have i'm really 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 excited for you on this journey thank you very much um i think one of the, the first well, I suppose, uh, an important step was nutrition and exercise and sleep. Um, mm. And this morning I weighed myself and I've lost nearly a stone, which is just amazing. Um, because I didn't really eat, I, I didn't have really have a, not, I didn't have a good relationship with food as such. Relatable. Um, I would skip breakfast. And sometimes I would skip lunch. And then over COVID, I've kind of been, anxious of going to supermarkets and stuff because I work people with disabilities so mm. it was kind of a, I suppose an added responsibility because I didn't want to go into work maybe sure. have COVID and bring it into the workplace to vulnerable people who are more susceptible to it and who could be affected by it even more so my dinners were takeaways most of the time um, and I just put on weight and I was so unhealthy and I know I was, it was just, it was shocking and I was burnt out and it was just like, no, this has to change. So before Christmas, usually people start these at New Year, New Year's resolutions, but two weeks before Christmas, I was like, right, I have to do this. Like it's getting to the stage now where I have to do it. Um, and I don't think I've eaten health as healthily as I have in the last month and my whole life. <laughs> and it's just, it's it's un, like it's just like I have I have to do it now because I need to do it for myself. You just want to feel good. It like I was jumping up and down like a pig in mud this morning when I was like, oh my god, I've done this It means I can go shopping and reward myself. Um, with I think I was going to buy a new jacket when I lost a stone, so I can go one stone shopping and it, it's just yeah, it's um. You have to look after yourself and I think that's different for everyone but I know that sleep and eating and exercise is more important for me at the moment so absolutely I, I don't know about you but I, I always felt this guilt the sense of guilt around taking care of myself oh yeah like I didn't deserve it oh yeah and I still have to remind myself yeah you do you do deserve to get a good night's sleep you deserve to feel good. You deserve to put yourself first. And it, you really can't give more to other people than you give to yourself. It's, it's not possible. Um, and a little bit of a content warning is I, you know, I, I uh, also struggled with eating disorders um, as a kid. I think it was, it was my way of controlling something. I felt, you know, really out of control um with with my fear of going to hell 
when I died. You know, I grew up with that being such an ever-present theme um, where I would spend eternity and, and, and how easy, you know, it was, according to some people, to lose my salvation and, and end up in hell. I, I really focused on that probably like 50% of the time in my life. I'm thinking about this. And so I just, I just kind of stopped eating. Isn't that wild? I, I, I lived in fear of the rapture happening and, and being left behind. And I remember this conversation where, where my mom and dad set me down and told me what to do in the event that the rapture happened and, and they were gone and I wasn't. Um, I, <laughs> I, I would imagine it every night. I would lay down and think about this. And, and, and then the, the amount of time I wasted of, of my precious life on this planet, afraid of what would happen when I wasn't on the planet anymore, um, instead of just enjoying it, that kind of breaks my heart actually. But I, I've spent a lot of time working on that. Um, and, and, and it's kind of the, the healthier I feel on the inside, the more I want to, to eat healthy, to make sure I get a, enough sleep. Um, religious abuse is real well yeah it's I think it's it's very scary for young children to have that kind of that kind of like the sin that you have to be absolved from that somebody else did 2,000 or 3,000 years ago or however long it was um, when somebody an apple in the garden and that was the you know that's well, the messaging to you, I, I, I really thought about this lately and, and it's interesting that, you know, according to the book of Genesis, since the beginning of time, men were trying to control what women ate. You can't eat that. Um, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> no wonder, no wonder I've had all these issues with food my whole life. Go figure. <laughs> But yeah, no, also, <laughs> also this messaging that like you're innately broken and bad. You're inherently evil without, you know, making this deal um, to, to accept salvation. You, you're, you're garbage. Mm. Ow. Like, yeah, we're. I, I don't feel like, you know, that, you know, I had the chance to develop self-esteem because of that. And, and I, I can't speak for everyone. I know I'm, I'm sure that it's, it's a wonderful thing for some people, but for, for me, it really, it really held me back and, and harmed me. And I think it's, it's something I never talked about. I never talked about any of this stuff, any of the real stuff, because I was afraid of offending someone. I was afraid of upsetting people. Um, I was afraid that people wouldn't like me and, you know, and I, and I still feel this, this tinge of fear whenever I talk about it. Um, but I, I think that's why I have to, I have to face that fear. Otherwise, what am I doing? Yeah. I've, I've asked myself those kind of, I don't talk about it a lot, but I've asked myself those questions as well, because like, 
it was like a kind of thing you were dragged to church because that was the good thing you were good if you church and you were bad if you didn't go to church so I've been horrendous a few times <laughs> I'm well, really, really evil now because I don't know at all. <laughs> I'm really evil but, but, like, but, but the thing is is I I bet you really weren't that evil I bet you really didn't do anything <laughs> I don't think I was I know <laughs> you go around though and you and you carry this guilt for stuff that you've done that really probably wasn't a big deal the worst things you can do are deliberately hurt another person. And, and that wasn't, I, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't doing any of that. I was just like, you know, thinking a dirty thought or swearing or like, oh, I don't know, you know, eating too much. <laughs> you go, I would go to a buffet and, and, you know, and, and get full and then feel really, really bad about that. And I, I constantly this internal monologue where I'm just praying for forgiveness, praying for forgiveness and, um, yeah, and, and kind of in the process of that, you, you forget how to forgive yourself. Yeah. It's like, I think society has, has a lot to answer for and those kind of ways with bringing up children and bringing up human beings because being a human being is not easy no. <laughs> not easy and being a young human being is even more difficult because you're listening to so many mixed messages but and those kind of religious messages they're, they're like drained into you and like even think about it now like when you were seven seven you're you're in a white dress. And you're like, are you? And I'm just, I remember, and I had to get my hair cut for that. And I remember like not wanting to get my hair cut for that and crying all the way home because my hair was cut. I was like, I don't want my hair cut. I don't want to wear a white dress. I don't want to do this. But it was like, you were made to do it. And then it was like, now you're, and I, I keep thinking about that. And it's like all these young children in white dresses and all the young boys in suits. And it's like, what is this? What is that all about? Yeah. Like it's not they they they've not got a choice in that. They are just learned and told, and it's not a choice. It's like a there's a whole party around it, and it's a, it's lovely to wear a nice white dress. And obviously, women wearing dresses is a huge thing a lot of time because they like to look smart. Oh, and- they're so comfortable too. Yeah. I love a good dress. <laughs> but, but you know. It's why I started to question my gender identity because I I, re- I realized I never actually made a decision about that, and I had grown up, you know, in a world where um, being queer was just not a possibility, and I didn't discover that I was, I guess, bisexual would be the right term for that, um, you know, until I was an adult, um, because it just I, I, I just assumed I wasn't, um, it wasn't, it wasn't presented to me as something I could be. I didn't know anyone like that. And I, I never felt really comfortable, um, with, with the expectations of, of, you know, of being a woman and what that meant. I kind of just felt like I was just a, just a person you know, just a, this, a ball of energy floating around. I didn't really feel 
like I fit into anything and I didn't I didn't know anyone like that either so I I just took on the role that was assigned to me and tried to play it to the best of my ability and I'm a pretty good actress that's the danger I was so good at, at playing that role that I, I could fool myself too yeah. and I remember this this church picnic that I went to I think I was 12 11 or 12 years old I didn't really even have boobs yet yeah I was just a twig and uh, I wore a white t-shirt to the church picnic no big deal I'd always worn t-shirts um I hadn't started wearing bras and this boy uh threw a water balloon at me and I guess my shirt you know you could see through it because it was white and I remember the pastor getting really upset and sending me home and I did not understand what happened. Like my mom and dad got it. Um, I knew that I felt humiliated and ashamed and um, disgusted with my body. And I didn't know why until a lot later, until I was old enough to get it. Um, but but I, st- I hung on to that memory anyway. Even though I didn't understand why I felt that shame, I still was imprinted with it. Um, and I have so many stories, so many stories of, of, of shame about my body, just having one, <laughs> like I asked for it, you know, none of us said, you know, please, please let me have a body, please put me on this planet. Like we, we're just here. We're just here with all these responsibilities and obligations. And, and it's a beautiful gift. It is such a wonderful thing to have a life. I'm very thankful for mine. Um, but I, I, <laughs> it's it's so hard to navigate um the the journey when when you don't even understand what it is yeah I think I think a lot in in the like in Ireland where I live just now and it's not in a bad sense it's the truth or what actually is happening is kept from children so they don't as you don't fully understand so they can't, they would take on responsibility for that. It's like, well, that happened to me. So this, when people say, don't take it personally and don't be so sensitive, but like, that's where that comes from. If those things are not explained to them and obviously age appropriate, because there's ways of telling people these kinds of things and help support them in that role and what's happening in their life. And, but a lot of times that doesn't happen. Um, no no meaning not badly because people have their hearts in the right place and they're trying to protect them but in a way it's I don't know if it does protect it kind of because you kind of think well why didn't why wasn't that explained to me and you can carry that from 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 that incident and what happened and you just carry it through your whole life and you know it, it kind of changes your perception in a lot of things and it's part of the the healing that you have to go through and the digging deep down to kind of change that and to mm-hmm. handle your emotions even better and people don't like talking about emotions but like they're real no. and and um, I think that's the power of music as well like it it does deal with emotion in that in that way it allows you the the healing benefits of having a conversation without having to participate <laughs> the other side of it <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> that's a very good way of putting it. Um, well, 
yeah i i totally agree um and with, with this album you know it, it's interesting that we're having this particular conversation right now because the, the, the album is called demonology um i'm actually going in to start the production process on the 7th of february we're really doing it it's happening uh and and i, I was really trying not to write about religion um and so it's in it's in pretty much every song i gotta be honest like I, it just it just kept happening uh because it was such a foundational part of of who i am and how i got here um and being a pastor's daughter and i have to say you know like I, my mom and dad absolutely did the best they could like my dad came from a long line of pastors his his dad his grandpa his great grandpa all pastors and missionaries uh, and and i think he had done a lot of work on himself to raise a kid like me a kid who ended up like this and uh and i know they love me so much um so i i hope they know that you know, when, when they hear this record that the goal is not to be disrespectful to them or to anybody. Um, it's just to be fully honest and, and fully known because I've spent my entire life trying to hide all the parts of myself that made me uncomfortable and that I thought other people would reject. And the purpose of this album was to make that known, to, to be fully open uh, to talk about things that I, I've been terrified to say out loud. Because if I put it in a song and then I spend a bunch of money recording it, I have to keep saying it. I have to sing it for people and promote it. I have no choice. <sighs> it's going to be a lot. Um, but I'm I'm really proud of the work that we've done. Uh, it, it has not been easy. <laughs> it really hasn't. That's a, a, it's a really interesting album title, like, Demonology is, um, you think of demons as something that, not inherently bad, but there's there's a kind of negative connotation with demon and what that kind of. Oh yeah, is. absolutely. That's yeah. why I'm calling it demonology. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, because those, because, because of the inner demons, you know, um, it, this isn't like a, an album about, you know, like literal exorcisms but it's it's a it's a it's an album about exercising the past uh the demons that that we've been carrying around from childhood from bad relationships trauma basically and interestingly enough i'm i, I have to i have to go through uh my dad like a long time ago did a bunch of stuff on ancestry.com and he found out that we were, like, my family is distantly related to King James. And I, I need to, so like, so hold off totally quoting me on that internet land, because I, I need to, I need to go uh, research it a little <laughs> further. Yeah. Um, it, I could go on there and be like, dad, like, what are you talking about? This is not... <laughs> but he, but he's really good at, he's really good with genealogy. So I trust him. Uh, but you know, we were, we were, uh, riding the train up to Scotland and I was doing like a little bit of research on, on King James. And I, I had no idea that he had written a book called demonology. 
um, in the in the 1500s. And I'd been, I'd been planning to name my album Demonology for a full year before before realizing that. And 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 I it felt like one of those just meant to be moments. Um, I I think you know it <laughs> literally in the in the blood this this concept and um, we will. We'll see when it comes out. It's you know supposed to be out before, at least partially before I'm in the UK in in uh, August and September of this year. But woo, it's it's going to be a big undertaking, full length album. I can't wait for it. It's um, yeah, I can't I can't wait to hear it. And just hearing you say that, like just everything about it, I just can't. I know that I'm just, I know I'm probably going to have tissues beside me and just take it all it's, in and have. 20 lessons to it before it sinks in because it sounds like it's it's going to be a good one well you were there for the preview so you, you've heard you've heard part of it yeah I was hoping that the second half of the album would be a little lighter I cannot say that it is it's it's an intense <laughs> it's an intense hour but, <laughs> but it's a it's a real it's candy carpenter real talk hour that's that's what it is. <laughs> I, I'm hoping that it will encourage other people to, to be real um, and to not be afraid to be. And I, I, I still deal with a lot of fear about, about being me. You know, I think that's probably my greatest fear. Um, and the thing that I'll always be working on is, is being okay with rejection, especially when it comes to my identity. I suppose as well with music that must be I suppose women in music or like people who identify as women in music have a difficult more difficult time with their music and getting music onto radio and stuff like that and I know that you were part of the song suffragettes and probably still are part of the song suffragettes with Kaylee Shore and my best friend yes absolutely I love her so much um, well so okay so when I when I did um the the Dolly Parton special, 50 Years of the Grinnell Operate, and I had the opportunity to, to work with her on that. It was an amazing experience. Um, you know, after the fact, and, and Dolly knew how I was gonna perform the song. She knew it was gonna be a little bit rock. It was a little sparrow I performed and it was kind of a rock version of, of the song. And she gave me her blessing. And, uh, and she really, I'm, I'm thankful to say, loved it and, and shared it. And somebody on the internet said that I looked like I was possessed by the devil while I was singing the song. And it hurt my feelings because I'm just a person, you know, and I'm always doing my best. Uh, and and I, it really bothered me. And then I thought about it for a while and I thought, well, I guess I am possessed. I am possessed by a lot of demons, just not actual demons. They're the emotional kind. And maybe that would be a pretty good idea for an album. So I would like to thank the, the man that said I looked like I was possessed by the devil. See, it doesn't look like that to me. Like it was, to me it looked, it looked like, when it looked like you were born for the stage because you performed, you performed that song. Like, it was a great lesson. Yeah, your whole heart, soul, and passion was in that song, and it's—I've played that song 
so many times. Like it's just the vocal on that is sensational. Like that's that's what I saw on that. I, d- I didn't really think of anything devilish when I saw that at all. I didn't either. But but again, <laughs> that's that's the lesson is that you know first of first of all, it inspired me, um, and I'm I'm very grateful actually that that happened. But it, <sighs> you're just never going to make everybody happy like dolly parton told me she liked what i did but this this random guy (laughs) thought that would be a nice thing to say about someone he doesn't know yeah but it gives you freedom once people rip you apart online um you're just you're just kind of free to do whatever you want from that point forward that's pretty true i mean that that's (laughs) A major, but it's another major part of like the music business being an online presence and having to be an online presence for your career. And nightmare for an introvert. Um, yeah. I, I'm actually very introverted. I can I can perform and and do my work and enjoy being on stage, but like in my private life, I don't really go anywhere. And I am a cat lady, and I just like to you know be at home. Um. And social media kind of forces all of us to be at a party all the time. We are constantly at a party. We're constantly available, reachable. Um, ah, and so you're, you always feel like the kid, like standing up against the wall at the dance who just wants their mom to pick them up so they can go home. Yeah, we, we can't get away from the party. We're always in it now. It's true. And even like, if you haven't, tweeted for a few days people are like are you all right are you alive and you're like well yeah I'm just like doing exercise or going for a walk in the park or I haven't been on much with nature or something you know just just those kind of things but it is like it's it's a major part of I don't know what we did without it kind of thing like I know we've not always had it it never used to be as major a thing as it is now it's tough though because it like creating engaging content um uses the same muscle as writing songs. So you, you, and you really, I mean, at least speaking for myself, I only have a limited amount of energy for creating each day and it, it doesn't all get to go into music. Um, so that's, that's why I've been so quiet online while I've been writing the album. Cause I, 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 I can't really do both. Yeah. But making an album is, is a huge thing. Like the process of making an album is not, I don't think people see how long it takes and what the process and each song and um, the cost of it and everything it takes to do an album. Like it's it's a major, major piece of art that you're you're working on. So it's it's taken me, I've been writing the album for over a year and it has become my entire personality. It's really hard to talk about much else. It's kind of like having kids, you know, that are really young. And you spend all your time with the kids. I, I just met um, Alden's sister had a baby. It was very cute. We just met him. We, we got back from Colorado yesterday. Um, cutest guy in the world. But like it, the baby is their personality right now. And it, and the baby will be their personality until, you know, he isn't constantly <laughs> about, he's crawling and he's always about to hit his head on something. It's, I didn't realize just how often babies are on the cusp of hitting their head. Oh, uh, that, oh was yeah, that was my, that was my, that was my, when I was younger, <laughs> the corner of the wall. 
You need to just duct tape like pillows all over their head. Like put a little helmet on them or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, kids probably need that because I think that's the thing. Kids, I suppose it's one thing we can learn about kids is when like they keep trying. Like if they sit, if they're trying to walk and they fall, they just get back up again, try again and they fall again. And they just get, they don't have that kind of, oh, well, I can't do it again because I've failed about 20 times. You know, and with everything, like even even like staring at like cups, even rubbish, empty cups from a fast food restaurant. I remember seeing this child, and she was just absolutely mesmerised by the cup. I don't know why she was just staring at it, and then she was like in the buggy, and you could see her <laughs> trying to go back and say, "What's that?" And the mum's like, "No, it's just rubbish." But like she was so like, oh, "I want that, I want that." It's like it's a cup. It's an empty rubbish cup that someone has dumped, but the in oh, yeah. and the all and something probably has COVID in it too, <laughs> and they want it. They want that dirty COVID cup for sure. <laughs> well, oh, COVID, yeah, I'm kind of annoyed with COVID at the minute. Um, now, the minute your the Church of Roswell project is that's a different songwriting project for you, but it's similar at the same time. Like it, it feels lyrically different. Is it Thank just for you. you and is that something that you're going to continue forward as well or is the album your kind of main focus at the minute? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, collaborating with another great songwriter, Josh Doyle is a great writer. And um, so I think it's it was a mix of both of us and, uh, and Alden Witt, um, the serial killer boyfriend that, that you were referring to earlier. Uh, you know, we ended up, we've been together for over six years and we, (laughs) we were friends for a few years before that because we didn't want to mess up our, our writing relationship and our, our musical, uh, collaborative relationship. And, and, uh, and, and we did for a while, for sure. When we first started dating. Um, but you know, now he, he is such an important part of, of everything I do. He's so talented. Um, I can really hear his uh, lyrical style in Church of Roswell. Um, and yeah, I, I tend to dominate a little bit uh, in the writing room for my for my project because I have to sing it. I have to say it. It's got to feel completely honest. Otherwise, I will feel embarrassed. Um, that's that's how I judge whether or not a song is done is, is whether or not I feel embarrassed when I listen to it. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, it had to feel authentic and and real for Josh and, and I both. Um, I think that's the biggest difference, uh, but it's also newer than the project I recorded with Brandy. Uh, I would say, you know, even though I'm collaborating on, on that project, um, it's still actually more me authentically than, than the EP uh, when the asteroid comes, because most of the songs on that project were written six, seven years ago. And Church of Roswell is relatively new. That's interesting. No, because like the music, it, it sounds kind of, um, I kind of, I don't know why, but I have like moons and werewolves in my head. I know you've got a song called about werewolves, but that's the kind of way it takes me. Like it, ta- it takes me on a different journey than your solo stuff does. Um, and it sounds really sonically interesting just the way it's produced and the sound that it's created um and it's well, yeah it's, it's it, it lives pretty solidly 
inside of the Americana genre, I think, you know, it has, it has a little bit more of a, a whimsical quality to it. Um, my stuff tends to be, you know, raw and confessional and, and Church of Roswell is um, a little bit you know, more fantastical, I guess. Uh, and we, we got to work with the 400 unit, Jason Isbell's band on that project. They, they were our backing band um, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's about <a> amazing. <laughs> our co-producer, Peter Shurkin, um, called his really good friend, Peter Levin, who does a lot of work with Amanda Shires and, um, you know, asked the 400 unit if they would be interested um, in, in coming in on our project and they agreed. So we, we also had Peter Levin, which was great. So we had these two incredible um, keyboard players on the record, we, there, there's, I think, you know, a lot more piano and organ and synth in the Church of Roswell world than, than there is in, in my stuff as well. Yeah, you can hear that. It's really, it's really interesting because when I heard, I think I first heard it and I was like, Candy Carpenter, is that her? <laughs> no, it can't be. And I was like, kind of debating with myself when I was listening. And then when I, when I went to my Spotify to see what it was, I was like, eh. And I was like, dude, this is like, it, it's, it, it's really interesting um, music-wise and genre-wise when songs are characterised, but it's just good music when, it, when it's written like that. And it's just, it's, it takes you on a different journey. And I think that's really cool. I'm not really into genre. I think it, I think it limits artists. I mean, finding your own style and sound um, is part of, of any artist's journey. It's just like, you know, Van Gogh had his own style of painting. Um, but, you know, genre kind of comes in after the fact and forces artists to define themselves in a way that I don't like, it makes me personally uncomfortable. I, I just kind of want to write Candy Carpenter songs and then and find people who, who like that. I mean, you know me now pretty well. We've had quite a few conversations and uh, I just, you know, I, I wanna find listeners who I could be friends with, um, who, would, who would be a great hang, who would, you know, like to go have a martini or cocktail with me. And we could have a great conversation about things we're mutually interested in. I, I'm, I'm less concerned about appealing to everyone, again, not even possible. No. So, but I think, you know, when I first came to town, um, there, I was a kid, first of all, so I didn't, I didn't have great judgment, but there was this push for me to define myself, uh, which I wasn't ready to do. Um, instead of finding myself naturally and organically through my art, it's like they expected me to define myself first and then make art inside of that definition. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I made a lot of art in my teens and twenties that I, I don't like at all. Um, I don't even, I don't feel like it came from me because it didn't, it, it came from, it came from external sources. It did, it did. It was, it was, you know, my best attempt to, again, to play the part. And uh, I think, uh, I think that's, that's a, that's a great way to make a product, but not to, to make, to make something that's a true artistic expression. See, I think that's probably the struggle within 
the music industry because the music industry want the product and sure. it's a business like it's the music business and it's the music industry and there's certain steps that you have to follow in order to, to be in that and to release music and you've all these steps you have to do there's so much advice out there about what you've to do and what you've not to do um, and then there's the artistic side and the development of that and I think that's the struggle that a lot of artists go well, through it, and it's absolutely it's why I love Billie Eilish uh she was so young when she started that she, there, there was really there was no time for anybody to get in her head and tell her who she needed to become she just made this incredible album with her brother in their bedroom you know uh and 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 when you listen to, I mean, it, it didn't fit into a genre. It completely redefined a genre yeah. because she was being herself. And uh, I had a couple friends, you know, who, who were feeling like a little jealous of that. And, and I thought, I, I'm not going to feel jealous of this. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to try to find that kid inside myself that, that just wants to, to, to make music for fun. I'd forgotten how to make music for enjoyment. You know, you, you're, you're just trying to, to please a label or a management company and, and, and write something that they think sounds like a hit instead of just being real. And that's Bella, by the way, the, this is her. <laughs> she's very distracting. Oh, Luke. <laughs> she wants to go. <laughs> she's like, yeah she 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 always wants the opposite of whatever is happening to her i really understand cats are vips so cats just be themselves when they want love they'll come to you when they want food yeah. they'll, 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 but when they don't want to see you they'll be like i don't see you i'm off um My arm falls asleep all the time at night because she's laying on it and i and i don't want her to move i'm so happy that she's cuddling me so I'll just sit there in pain and misery with this cat on top of me for as long as I can stand it. <laughs> toxic. She's toxic. <laughs> it's a toxic relationship. Codependent completely. I just, she gaslights me. Cats are totally different to dogs. Um, I can't have a cat, unfortunately, because I'm slightly allergic to them. Oh, me too. I'm very allergic to cats. I have three of them. <laughs> Do you know I sneeze all the time? I don't know. I, I take a lot of, I take a lot of Zyrtec, probably more than I should. I don't know. I, you know, I just love, I love things that are bad for me, I guess. It's a microcosm. Oh, you're not always unwell then? Cause you, you oh. no, I eventually, eventually when you're constantly exposing yourself to an allergen, like, like a cat, I don't know how it, I'm not a doctor. Don't follow any of my advice, honestly. <laughs> But I've, <laughs> I've exposed myself to the cats to such an extent that I don't get sick anymore. Well, maybe that's... I don't know. I don't know. Long yeah. for a dog, but maybe, like, maybe a cat is the way to go. I don't, I don't know, but I've never... I never know. Well, you can have one of mine. I help out at rescue centre, so there's loads of cats I could choose from. There's, like, a hundred of them in there at the minute. Um, I mean, look at this. Look at this. <laughs> oh, look. <laughs> She's been there pretty much the whole time. 
she she's just been wandering back and forth for attention that is the cutest thing um now i was reading on your website just a bit of fun to end with um there's a lot of things you're interested in um golfing you're not interested in you said on your um... oh no i i i was i was a golfer um i got to go to i got to go to school up through part of the ninth grade and in that time i was um on the varsity golf team and we were ranked the lowest team in the state and i was the lowest player on the team so that made me officially the worst golfer in the state of Michigan in my age group. Oh gosh. <laughs> so you, you put that, that's what I read on your website. I was like, okay, go. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I, I always had a, one of those bios that's like, Candy Carpenter is a once in a lifetime voice or something, somebody would write it for you. And then, and then you'd put it up and, and we all need, like we are all, we all have to have a bio <laughs> that talks about what we do and that's professional and that's good. And I'm not like hating on that, but like for me right now, my Spotify bio is a hard boiled egg <laughs> recipe. <laughs> Love your values. Um, because I just think, again, like I think everything is absurd. Exi- arms and legs, absurd. Existence, absurd. It's all weird. So like, why not? Why not? People are like, why do you have an an alien mannequin in your living room I'm like why not why do you have a couch why not <laughs> why not that is a that's a life-affirming sentence why not uh, why not <laughs> I mean, the, things, the things that we all have in our homes that are absurd I mean I, I have like, I don't know. I don't know that I need more than one television. I don't know that I need that, you know? That's true. So why not, why not this? Why not? Or more than one bathroom? I, like, I have a fireplace in my living room that isn't functional. <laughs> why? Is that the one you have to put? Work? a real fire on or is it like no you can't if i put a fire in there it burn down the house oh don't do it that. is not functional it is purely decorative a purely decorative fireplace lovely for pictures of yourselves <laughs> and your cats no, <laughs> for your no. cats to crawl on that's what it's for it's for your cats to crawl on and sit on <laughs> like here's another why do we have so many pillows on the couch it's not even comfortable. Like you have to move them. Why do we have so many decorative pillows on the bed? You have to take all of those pillows off of your bed every morning, every night. You're taking them off. You're putting them on. Why? Why are we doing it? I don't know. We do it though. You know what? You know what, question. You know what makes no sense? Decorative soap. <laughs> have, you, have you ever bet you like you go to an aunt's house and they're going to have like like a wicker bird's nest with like a, a, a bird soap and then two soap eggs. And you can't eat, don't, and she'll tell you, she'll like, don't use the decorative soap. Only use the liquid soap next to the decorative soap. <laughs> it's so true. In, in the Midwest, in Ohio, at least, I don't know if you had this, but like there, there was this thing where, where, you know, grandmas and aunts were crocheting dresses 
to put on plastic dolls. And then they would put the plastic dolls over the toilet paper to hide the extra toilet paper in the bathroom. That's true. That's so fucking weird. What, like, why, why did anybody ever think like a cloth toilet seat cover, like a, like a carpeted toilet seat cover? It's a good thing. That's gross. And you know what? You know how often that's getting washed? It isn't. (laughs) It's not. That's even worse to think of. Yeah, I know. (laughs) So, you know, that's my takeaway. You know what I still have up here? I have a happy birthday sign from Halloween. Halloween? Well, my friend, her birthday is Halloween. We had a birthday party here. And I haven't even bothered to take it down. And I know that's pretty sad actually but i like it because it's like drippy blood and there's like a bat why not when it's your birthday and when it's yeah his birthday sure it'll 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 be relevant it just the happy you could just take the birthday down and just leave the happy up and that's just pure laziness i need to take that down um it's just up there it's it's hard to get up there actually it was hard to put it up in the first place also in your bio is these are very interesting you're into paleontology yeah ufos conspiracy theories and metaphysical all things metaphysical sure yep that's like like totally different from songwriting but that's that that's like really interesting topics of conversation (laughs) right there paleontology reminds me of ross from friends actually These days, these days, I feel like you need to clarify too. I, I'm, I'm only into like alien conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Not, you know, not anything potentially harmful. Um, I like to keep a good head on my shoulders, but uh, I, I just like fantastical things. I like, um, I like things that challenge, uh, you know, what I was taught growing up and, and um, kind of creating my own belief system. That's that's very true. That's probably where I'm going myself with a lot of stuff. So yeah, it's um, I suppose that's what voice of women is like. It's it's finding my own voice and what I believe in and the stories that women want to see. And I think that's where this this podcast has come from to like to talk about the things that are important and um, being a good sure. yeah. So it's like it's so I think it's so important to talk about these things and that it's all right to talk about it. And as you're saying, it's not to be disrespectful to anyone. Not at all, no. But it's, um, it's to be respectful to yourself and who you are. Yes, yes, Linda, absolutely. And that's that's okay to be that and to feel that and to, to have these conversations um, and to be okay about having these conversations because a lot of times you talk about these things and people you can see that they just they don't want to talk about them or they don't want to deal with them or it's too hard for them or whatever and it's um this is life and these things are always there and to have open healthy discussions about them all is paramount for everyone and to kind of help the world not be so screwed up and weird and totally absurd the more absurd it gets by the day. Um, so yeah, but it's, yeah. It's so fear. Cool. 
Yeah. It's fear. And, and, and that's the big final boss at the end of the video game that you have to beat, you know? Um, I, I think too, you know, from, from what you've shared about your story. And I, I think we probably both grew up, um, being taught not to trust ourselves uh, and not to trust our instincts, our intuition, our judgment, um, and, you know, to trust other people's over our own. And so, you know, and I hope, and I, I would love to have kids someday, um, especially after hanging out with our nephew for a little while. He's so cool. Um, I, I, I want to I take from this, from my experience, uh, the lesson uh, that the most important thing that I can do for my kids someday is help them trust themselves and, and create in them a character that they can trust. Yeah, I suppose somebody they, they want to be with 24-7 because you're with yourself 24-7. You're, yeah. you're never not with yourself as such. You're always, you can't like, because you can, you can leave work and you come home and you can go from home to work and you could, but you're always, you always bring yourself with you <laughs> wherever you go. Um, so like that, is, it's so important to, to care about yourself and it's hard when I suppose the world you live in and society you live in is so many inconsistencies and absurdities that you're like where the hell am I in all this and it's um, you need to learn to enjoy your own company well that's it that's yeah it. well this has just been an absolute pleasure to have so much fun just uh, it's just been so it's just been so 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 good um and it's just been great to share real talk with you today um yeah. it's just been such a joy um and i can't wait for your album um, thank you to hear, to hear the next chapter of the candy carpenter story um and i think candyland is i think you probably could start a website called candyland and just have your paleontology and your UFO <laughs> theories and everything metaphysical <laughs> and cattery on there. That, that would just be that. <laughs> you've got Dollywood and this Candyland is next. I mean, that, that could be. <laughs> I would be the only person visiting that website, those particular interests. Uh, you know what? I, I like, I love studying old bones because they remind me that life is temporary yeah and that's and you know and and I think this is a depressing thought to some people but you know nobody remembers or I mean we we still don't really know what the dinosaurs looked like like we think we do but we don't really know and and so we definitely don't remember their mistakes or a bad day that they had or something they said that came off wrong or, uh, you know, a bad song they wrote. We don't remember it. So it gives us, it, for me, it gives me the freedom to take chances, um, to remember that, you know, there isn't going to be a permanent record of my mistakes. So it's okay to make them um, because we're all gonna end up like the dinosaurs at some point. When you put it like that, like that's, it's true there's only there's only yeah there's only now and it's like in a hundred years from now it's 
it's going to look very, very different and probably even more absurd. And um, we're only temporary. This is our temporary home, as Carrie Underwood sings in that song, and that's so true. Um, so, yeah. So, thank you so much. Um, I've kept you think long enough. It's been an hour and 40 minutes. I could talk more for the, but I think that's probably an hour and <laughs> It's been absolutely brilliant having you. Thank you so much. Um, and it's given me food for thought and it's great to just chat. Great to support. see you. Yeah. Look forward to seeing you again later this year, I hope. Yes, definitely when your album comes out. Um, just to talk about the album and to hear about the journey and that and everything that all the songs, I can't wait to, to hear it and to explore it. And just, yeah. And see you again and... August, September, that would be amazing because I know you're playing the long, the long road, so that would be so good. Can't um, wait. I can't wait either. It'll be good to see you. Um, so, loads of love and thanks so much. And Thank you. Very soon. Bye, my friend. See you later. Thanks a lot, Candy. Bye.